This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, welcome back once again to the show that seemingly seems to have no end. You've got the yeah. DLR Cast, the podcast by and for what's left of the fans of Diamond David Lee Roth after the last couple of weeks. I'm being a little bit facetious here, Darren. Good to see you again. But as always, it seems of late, got all sorts of interesting things coming from Dave's camp. We wish we didn't have to talk about, I guess. Yeah, we're kind of in that predicament that we were in with the last episode where the people that we talk to regularly, people who used to work with Dave, people like your Greg Renoffs in the world, people like Dave White, who write for Classic Rock websites and all that, they're horrified by all this going, oh my God, my favorite or one of my favorite artists is just being a an insane person. And then you have that 10 to 20% of people who go, Darren and Steve, those snowflake sensitive people who can't take a joke, <laughs> who have no sense of humor. And and so the, it's this civil war in the Van Halen fan base where the people who do their research are just kind of horrified. And then the people who take things at face value go, oh, man, these these people are too sensitive. Oh, what a bunch of losers. You know? Well, let's yeah. Well, let's do a quick recap. I don't want to assume anybody, everybody's listening to this knows exactly what we're talking about. Of course, Dave's been on a real tear of late, basically throwing Alex, Eddie, and Wolfgang completely under the bus, burning whatever bridges and legacy you want to have left behind him. And so yeah. the last two, and that's his podcast and YouTube videos. And so the last two, I guess you can call it episodes of the Roth show. Well, there was a video in between of him dancing with some footage from the 50 <laughs> ride, rides on the love train bit in between this. But a week ago, since our last episode, we had that uh, rant of Dave, voices included and sound effects included, telling a story yeah. about how some people, uh, Wolfie got some guests of his that I guess were the Van Halen's accountants f- thrown out of the show, thrown off the side of the stage watching the show. Yeah, and then a couple there's days so ago, many errors in that yeah. damn thing. And I, and, I rudely and, have to interrupt you. <laughs> and, hold on. And then as if that wasn't bad enough, airing more dirty, la- that dirty laundry of which has been just this continuous dirty laundry tour. The other day we had Dave doing a quick, barely two minutes, not even, was it barely two minutes, uh, rant about basically talking about why a different, well, trying to cryptically somewhat. And the Van Halen News Desk, of course, thank you, Eric, recaps this episode in particular uh, nice and tidily, but basically talking about why a different kind of truth is not up on the streaming services. Do I have, do I have a recap correct, more or less, the broad strokes? More or less correct. The the second one, Blabbermouth and some of those sites immediately picked up that he's talking about a different kind of truth. But I thought he was also slagging Wolfgang's solo career as part of that. That was my first thought. I read that yeah. as your you, your album laid a commercial leg was a big dud, which is n- not which true. Get more further from the truth, for God's sakes. Yeah, so, I, yeah, yeah. To rudely interrupt you for the second of many times to come. <laughs> You're never rude, my friend. <laughs> well, so Wolfgang's two albums went, both went to number one on one of the Billboard Hard Rock charts, but he's selling tickets. He's doing well when you play Starland Ballroom in Jersey. You know, they, they could fit as many people as they want in there. It, sold out could mean 1,500 people there. It could mean 2,500 people. But he's playing those kinds of venues across the country. 
And those Dave Vegas residency shows were not sold out. They were packed. Vegas can say it's sold out, but give out 800 cops. But Wolfgang is selling more tickets than Dave as a solo artist. He's also getting more press, doing more press than Dave. He's doing three different artists' stadium tours, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and yeah, Foo Fighters, uh, as support. Listen, by by every measure, critically, musically, concert ticket sales, financially, uh, reputation, and, and just the general feeling of goodwill – but, about all this stuff about Wolfie's career, Dave said, could not be further from the truth. It's all happened for the guy. The guy made but, two fantastic records. He's off and running on what's going to be an amazing solo career where 20 years from now you go, oh, my God, you thought that fourth record from, from Mammoth or Wolfie was great. You wouldn't believe what he did on this new one. I mean, I that was just flabbergasted. I, was I got the death blow right here, the accidental right. death blow, which is that when you had 5150 – on tour and you had eat him and smile on tour dave was doing 10 or so van halen songs and van halen were basically doing like two or three really going no this is our future this is what we're doing dave nowadays is only performing quote classic van halen and wolfie aside from the taylor hawkins shows is not playing any van halen so which i which i applaud by the way, so was Wolfgang Van Halen born on third base? Yes, you can argue he was that old adage of like you were born on third base, but you you hit a triple. You think you hit a triple. Yeah, that you have that one. Sure. But the thing is, he's putting in all the work and he's not playing any Van Halen and he's selling all those tickets and units. Dave is re-recording Van Halen, <laughs> inferior. He's doing corporate shows where he's playing Van Halen. He's doing podcasts where he's talking about Van Halen and he's failing. <laughs> so you, you do have that 1986 battle of Van Hagar versus Roth all over again. All right. So the bigger overarching question is among these, and we can, I'm very curious about this last one because a different kind of truth, Wolfie addressed that a few months back, basically saying it's tied up in negotiations. One person has made it a bit more difficult, which kills me about this. If I listen to this correctly, is that, and Wolfie mentioned that before, and it sounds like Dave is talking about too, to a degree, but is that, that he doesn't like the record. I think the record's great. I'm I'm with you. Like Big River, a couple of the songs you go, and it's not all. It's not just all songs that they repurpose from back in the day. There's some stuff that was brand new, from what I know too. I mean, we've debated that here, and we've talked about here. We've done the guests on other podcasts. I mean, that that record to me, I'll give it four out of five stars. I love it. I listen to it all the time. It's a shame that now I have to listen to it colored. By this bullshit behind it, just I mean, can you just kill every dream I have? For goodness sakes, you know what I mean? Can I? Can you yeah. kill the goodwill here? I mean, as far as what Dave's doing, listen. I mean, plenty of other people go off the go off the rocker, so to speak, and I'll still give him the time of day. I mean, you know, I mean, is Ted. You know, you can argue Ted Nugent's mentally ill. I love Great White Buffalo. Do you know what I mean? You could argue he's a racist. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's like, I think the only person who went completely. Uh, completely, and I'm making no comparison, but when I look back on folks that I just, you know, I people I might not agree with personally or what happened to them professionally or what they did, different things I didn't, you know, I just was like, oh, I can't fathom 
listening or hearing or enjoying that stuff anymore might be Bill Cosby. Everybody else, you know what? This isn't good. So what Dave's doing though, but it all of that other stuff, this just makes me sad, man. It's not necessary. I no. mean, it, it's it's not necessary. We've talked, I've mentioned this before. You're you're killing your legacy, right? And it just, it's a, to say it's a bad look is an understatement. One guy's dead and one guy's a younger, I want to get into the woman thing separately, but excuse me for pontificating here. <laughs> Give me your insight on why and what and how much of this is bullshit. And I mean, that's the biggest question of all, right? Why? What the fuck is the point to this? So the first Wolf, the first podcast about Wolfgang, which is from about a week and two days ago, something like that. So in most fan bases, that's really new. But in this case, that's not that new because we get more filth to deal with. And so the whole thing about the accountant and Jones Beach and all that. Okay, there's some errors in all that. And I give this context of being an investigator. When one or two facts are off, you are trained to go, what else is off? Lawyers are the same thing. If you want to get somebody cleared of criminal charges, allegedly, supposedly, you go, Your Honor, this is wrong. So I ask you, is this whole investigation wrong? Are there other things that are wrong? Should we be dismissing this whole thing here? So so you lead with like a basic minor detail. And David Lee Roth is like, here we are, New York City, Jones Beach. Okay, I live, Steve is originally from Long Island, like I, where I still live. I do not live uh, in New York City. Jones Beach is not in New York City. Jones right. Beach does not have a hotel within two miles of it. If you're playing Madison Square Garden, you go, hey, New York City, Van Halen, live yeah. in the Big Apple. <laughs> yeah, know? so Jones you're Beach. New York City adjacent, <laughs> Jones Beach. Jones Beach is a state park on Long Island. So that's the first thing there. It's in the middle of a parkway. It's not in New York City. UBS Arena, which they say is Long Island, is actually New York City because it's on the Queens side. Jones Beach is not in New York City. Okay. So the whole Wolfgang won't look at me. This, you know, he won't look at me and he's complaining. He won't look at me. That kind of a thing. Could it possibly be because Wolfgang Van Halen is the music director of Van Halen and the band leader that Eddie and Alex are taking cues for? So therefore, the guy who goes on these long rants should be looking at the music director. Can I can I weigh in? Can I weigh in here on something? Because wasn't yeah. Dave saying that? Oh, Dave, Van that he was making the insinuation that Wolfie was saying Dave's not paying any attention to me. Right. He That's how I, it won't. He said, he, I won't look at him. He won't look at me. He's not paying attention to him on stage. Right. Not yes. paying attention to Wolfie. OK, this is means nothing at all to anything. But my ears pricked up on that when I first heard that, because I remember seeing it back in 2007 on the reunion and then back on a different kind of truth tour. I'm sorry. Yeah. Different kind of truth tour and hours and hours of, of YouTube videos since then. Dave interacts with Alex to agree. He's behind the drum set. He certainly interacted with Eddie all the time. There was the back and forth and the riff, in, you know what I mean? And the, you know, that little classic rock bit they did on one of those tours where it was back and you'd hear different riffs of songs, a little bit of magic bus or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then you look back to how Dave used to interact with Michael Anthony back in the day and share a mic with him and all that stuff. None of that happened with Wolfie. And in the beginning I went, okay, the kid's 15 years old. Maybe I get it. But I'm telling you, if you didn't know, a lot of times, and, and Wolfie definitely 
did not have that onstage personality, you know, in 2007 compared to 2012, for goodness sake, he was a kid, 15 years old, and you're playing arenas. I mean, listen, I'd be a little bit nervous and kind of kind of uh, stay in my lane a bit too, to a degree, even if I am the one responsible for this whole fucking thing happening in, in the first place. Oh, but, yeah. but what I'm getting at it, it just, as a guy who notices these things, who goes to concerts and just loves to see the interplay between the guitar player and the, and, and the drummer when they catch a cue together or something, and they're really into it. You know, the guy who loves, you know, the guy who notices when the guitar player, you know, kind of points his finger up in the air to go, Hey, I need more sound on my monitor. I mean, yeah. I love all that stuff on stage that most people might not even notice. And one of the things that I that really kind of bummed me out a bit was the fact that how cool would it have been if in the middle of, I don't know, pretty woman or whatever it been Dave, like the big uncle he's supposedly supposed to be puts his arm around Wolfie and shares a fucking mic and sings the chorus with him. Do you know what I'm saying? Show that instead Wolfie looked a lot like he was a side man. Like this was a guy like that, you know, for years, here's a quick comparison. I was thinking Quick comparison like the fact that there was the big Bon Jovi music cares thing forever. You know, for the longest time before, uh, or here's another one, Rolling Stones, right? The bass player, Daryl Jones. Daryl, yeah, member yeah. of the fucking band already. You know what I'm saying? You know, although he didn't play on this last record. Uh, Hugh McDonald. I mean, yeah. here's this guy. They don't even introduce him. For, you know, put him the pick, make him a member of the band. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You look at there's like, is this guy a side man? He's off to the stage. He just stays. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean- Dave's interaction with Wolfie was, you know, just his interaction with Al Estrada was a little bit better on those shows. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a band show. It's fucking Van Halen. It's the band together. We're there to see all of them. That that would be about gripe number 24 for me. <laughs> gripe number two. The things I lose sleep over. <laughs> well, okay. There's so many things. If, hmm, how do I put this? The name of the video refers to Wolfgang as the kid, the kid, 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 that kind of a thing. That last Wolfgang Van Halen tour, Wolfgang was 24. How old was David Lee Roth on Van Halen 1's release? 23. Okay, just think about that one for a second there. When you keep calling somebody a kid, yes, when you're 24, you don't make the best decisions you've ever made in life. But at that point, when he's 24, he's been touring the world for six or seven years now. I think he knows a little bit of what's going on after growing up in Malibu with other celebrity kids and, and that kind of a thing. So the he won't look at me. We can debate that. The Jones Beach is New York City or not. OK, we can debate that. But this was this was the one that had me laughing. Hold the on one second. Though. I'm, one second. I'm not saying that. I don't want to, I have no idea, you know, maybe Wolf did complain a little bit about that. Certainly within his right to, uh, do you have what I'm saying? So I think cause he's the music director. That too. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie was not um, by all accounts. And I don't want to say what was going on, but on the 2007 beginning tour dates, Ed was not clean yet. He was not right. healthy. So he was not leading the band on stage. Right. I'm pretty sure Wolfgang was leading the band. And again, you look at the music director, the MD, as insiders call it. Even if you're not a musician or you're not a diehard, you should know every one of your favorite artists has an MD and it is not the singer of the band. 
So that's where I'm going. But the one, the part of Dave's thing that makes me lose the respect and credibility on this is the whole accountant part that Wolfgang had this accountant thrown out and the accountant had 80 plus checks for the crew to pay everybody. This was 2015. So you're saying the accountant from a top institution comes to Jones Beach with 80 plus paper <laughs> checks. Right, so, so meaning they don't do direct deposit in 2015 and you go, well, Darren, what if they do? I asked somebody who worked with David Lee Roth from, let's just say it was in the last 10 years. They always got paid direct deposit. They always. You, always I just always. had this, I just had this really funny visual that, you know, you've seen tour books, right? Where yeah. each day it's timed. Okay. Bus leaves at eight 30. We get to the venue at this time, you know, rigging goes up, sound check, band meal, catering. Oh, did yeah. you notice it? At, did you notice at five 15? Checks are being handed out on stage. Yes. Hey, so, hey, hey, Jerome Rosenberg from, uh, you know, the accountants, uh, such and such, 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 such and such, uh, you know, is handing out checks. Make sure you're on stage. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the the accounting for, for Van Halen, I have more information on that. I'm pretty sure they don't go, Jones Beach, this is a show where we hand out the paper checks. And then Dave Slater talks about how Wolfgang allegedly has the same person kicked out of the Hollywood Bowl gig who has the bonuses. Oh, okay. So this person's job is to just come to random Van Halen shows with 80 plus paper checks and go, here you go, everybody. Because there's no direct deposit in the Van Halen world. It's all paper checks. Even though Dave says when describing this person that she's carrying a Gucci bag. Okay. So she has a Gucci bag with 80 plus checks. Okay. And, that and makes you get a check and you get a check and you get yeah, a check. No one gets direct deposit in Van Halen. Got it. Okay. That story is just so off because I looked this up and Eddie had the same accountant, this woman named Barb for like 25 ish years that he was super close with so wolfgang would not know who his his dad's accountant was okay no that doesn't make sense then if van halen presumably didn't change management like it did accountants he's talking about the the hollywood bowl show which was the last show which is seven eight years into the reunion so wolfgang would not know who the accountant was okay no that doesn't make any sense then you look at it further and you go isn't there the possibility that the person on the side of the stage is blocking the exits and the entrances because van halen is one of those bands where if you pay close attention to a dave show you see he does leave the stage in some form every 10 to 15 minutes he's changing costumes there's solos so he can catch his breath etc could it be that maybe the person was in the way of that part of the stage? And they said, hey, can you go to this part of the stage? Also, this and the Van Halen made sure they didn't get the tickets. You don't arrange the tickets or the comps through the artist. You arrange the comps through the tour manager. So it's like, does Dave not know how touring works? Well, and hell, even if the even if. And I've seen this with bands too before, but most of them are not, nobody that size is involved in the minutiae. But a touring manager might go, hey, here's the guest list if you want to take a look at it. 
And if you have an artist with a big ego, they might go, well, I don't want that person on there. But that yeah. is so freaking rare because it's the minutia of it all. It's like the tour manager going, hey, uh, <laughs> I mean, think of it. It's You're not going to bo be bothered with that shit. Yeah. And we know that Dave was not a sound check artist, that when you see footage that leaks of Van Halen on tour, it's usually the guitarist, drummer, and bassist sound checking instrumental. We know that from uh, back in the day that Matt Sensio would fill in for Dave on some of his vocal sound checks. So Dave was not at the sound checks as far as we know. He would just yeah. kind of show up a little before he goes on stage, goes there and leaves. Yeah, I always wondered that what time he got to the arena and if he was, especially if it was a, I mean, you know, were they doing planes? I don't recall, but I mean, I know I'd always heard that if Dave was physically on the arena property, he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting out of his bus until, you know, he wasn't getting out of his bus at 5 PM. You know what I mean? Yeah. So or he was doing something. He was out, he was biking God knows where doing whatever it might be, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, so so just put a little theoretical on here right now. So Dave is not there for sound check. He's on his bus. He's not there. He's surfing. He's roller skating like he says he used to do. He's he's walking. He's biking, that kind of a thing. He's not getting there until right before the show. But we know that Ed, Allen, Wolfgang sound checked and were there for hours. So suddenly every mistake that happens is the fault of the people who were there all day, not the person who just showed up, who doesn't know the lay of the land. So Ed, Al, and Wolfgang were a corporation, and they shared personnel. We know this from the signs that leaked backstage that had the directions of where to find everyone and everything. Dave had his separate dressing room away from the Van Halens. So... It, the the whole fault is on the one person who's he's calling a kid who was there all day. The fault is not on the person who just shows up and travels separately away from everybody. Got it. Okay. That's how business works. And um, it's Alex going over the guest list and going, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah, we, we believe that too. How much blame shifting can you possibly do? You're, you're telling me that a really smart accountant would not be recognized by Van Halen tour management and go, no, 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 these are ch the checks. I have to be there. The, the right. smart accountant also would not have an all access pass. Right. When, when you are tour personnel, you have all access passes. There might be different levels, but the security would go, oh, no, um, go on this side, please. Uh, you know, the artist needs to get through. And if you're an accountant at that level who handles Van Halen, you would handle other tours, just like we know Dave's manager, Jerry, also handles Stevie Nicks and other A-list artists. So don't you think Jerry would know how to handle the security guard and go, First of all, I'm a woman. Don't touch me. You're not allowed to touch me. Second, no, I have to be here. I'm working. So Dave is presenting this world like everyone is this hopeless, helpless person except him and, and Wolfgang. And, Again, and yeah. this comes this comes down to my, you know, the the questions I always have. The biggest one. Um, what's the point to any of this? What's the motivation behind it? And is it true or is it not true? 
But the bigger question is, what's the point to any of this? I mean, we're getting into the minutia of, of accounting and checks being handed out, for God's sakes, to think that, Jesus, to think, so, to think most of the time, I just want to talk about the damn music. <laughs> yeah, isn't all the cities talking about the exact opposite of why we loved David Lee Roth? <laughs> the big smile, these songs, the witty quotes, the fashion choices, the witty music videos and sideshow element of the whole thing, that he was this P.T. Barnum-like circus ringmaster, the, this larger-than-life fun character. Fun. And then all these rants are the exact opposite. These calling people out. Uh, there's a part in my book where I talk about how Henry Rollins, the MTV VJ and Kennedy and Dave are hanging out. And this is in the 90s. And they're laughing. Kennedy and Henry Rollins are laughing their heads off at the jerky boys. And Dave says something. Dave isn't laughing. And they're asking why. And he said, because he doesn't like, you know, innocent people being victimized. Isn't this kind of victimizing people? Isn't this taking advantage of people who aren't there to defend themselves? Well, just it's, that it's, a, it, it's such a lack of taste in class. I mean, right. Don't whether don't pick on someone. Put aside the fact that he's the most he's so damn beloved. And listen, things always come out. I mean, things always come out. Uh, for you know, stars while they're alive, especially in this day and age, and things come out after they're alive. But you know, let other people carry that dirty work and carry that. You know what I mean? If if somebody's got gripes and wants to spill it, it depends on what the source is, right? And then it just kind of goes away. But this stuff just gets amplified and magnified because who's doing it and why? And then because of that, it just comes across as so damn classless and so damn tasteless. Um, all right, so switching gears for a minute, from accountants yeah. to what really got me interested, it reminded me that I was interested in this uh, because it brought up, uh, this is, I'm talking about the most recent episode, if you'll call it, the most recent rant about a different kind of truth, because I was very curious for a long time why I was off the streaming services, uh, and Wolfie addressed that in October, saying, as we talked about, that it's because of Dave, more or less, and then in this new episode, which which I guess the only thing I can give credit to for these new episodes is that the production quality with places in the sound effects, that yeah. game has really, that's really risen there. Um, but the you're fact, doing a great job. But the Even fact, if you are a held captive uh, hostage right there, you're doing a great job. <laughs> but, you know, Roth is, is creating these scenes and doing these voices of, uh, you know, these, uh, and I wouldn't even call them imitations, these caricatures of, of, of Wolfie's voice, a therapist's voice, all this other stuff. And just the idea that Wolfie's talking to a therapist about any about anything, that all this stuff about the album is just ridiculous. But uh, here again, and I guess you can call this as, as you know, all a <laughs> to call it a different kind of truth is being kind because when Dave references in this as a therapist saying that the album was dead on arrival, not true. What it went to number one, yes. uh, kick to the curb, not true, and a complete face plant, not true at all. It was critically received. The tour sold out. Ninety percent of the critics loved it. Most uh, I can't tell you how many. I mean, I read a lot of different reviews. Are like as as reunion albums go, this is one of the far better ones because there's been plenty of reunion albums where you just went, oof, man, and. Yeah. 
everything about it. And the quote is, son, commercially speaking, you got your ass handed to you. If he's referring to a different guy of truth, not true at all. Not not true at all. Absolutely not true. The tour in support of it was still great numbers for Van Halen. <laughs> now, if he's talking about the Live in Tokyo one that came out, well, well, yeah, but no one's listening to that and go, man, do you hear the bass lines? <laughs> the critics hate the Dave performance on on that and that era, that tour, etc. And so you have your ass handed to you. The 2007-2008 touring, wasn't that the best grossing Van Halen tour ever? Uh, if it's you might be right that does ring a bell or at um, least for, i mean for van halen i'm talking about you know that outdid oh, oh for van halen right no exactly no that's what i'm saying yeah that no year I, it was a top 10 tour according to Pulse. Oh, yeah it was massive it was massive yeah. so um, okay so the album didn't fail the touring didn't fail and and then here dave comes back right before the pandemic and he's playing clubs so explain how and then you look at these like streaming numbers on these john five tracks and you go the best streamed john five track isn't that still going to be less than the worst streamed mammoth track that's a whole other story the fact that the way that was released and and just the way that was all done i've pontificated on how wackadoodle that whole situation is and uh, has been as far as putting those things out but getting back to a different kind of truth and uh, again, the Van Halen News Desk put a great recap together about all this is that Roth basically was explaining in this family therapy YouTube video episode uh, that it was both him and Alex Van Halen that are the ones who don't want it back on the streaming uh, services because it's not worth the money spent to negotiate a better deal with the record company. If that's even true, that's kind of shitty. How much? Come on. I'm taking major issue with that because the original deal for a different kind of truth and i'm no insider but i come from artist management you yourself come from music industry marketing so the original deal for a different kind of truth when it was on universal was cut by irving azoff does irving azoff ever cut a bad deal ever for his no, no he's the best so when you're van halen with warner brothers you basically can go to them, whether or not we do anything, you make this amount of money on us. And also, we've been making you money for close to 50 years now, over 40, close to 50. We are not only recouped, but we're keeping your lights on. So just match this. Okay, fine. <laughs> and, that, and Warner Brothers Business Affairs Department is going to do that. Now, I don't know if Dave is going to be so difficult and be like so we should get double what the red hot chili peppers get that does sound like dave to me but by default could they get a net deal where instead of you know an amazing 20 percent royalty they get a 40 percent royalty theoretically they could but a different kind of truth does not produce that much money you would just take whatever deal and just go yeah that's fine okay whatever it's well the Here's the thing this is curious to me, and I could be way off on this, and I know things have changed, but um, that why are they okay? 
if they're negotiating a better deal with a record company, first off, if the record company owns the masters, there's no deal to, to negotiate. They're like, they, we're going to put this up on the streaming services. Wait, Interscope does or the Van Halens? Van Halens do. I exactly. Believe. So that so are they that's probably what I'm getting at. That's probably the case. The last company I worked for, we started doing this very early on where a lot of big name talent was, you know, after 25 years of major labels, they were like, I don't need a major label anymore. I'm going to license this and hire you guys to do the yeah. marketing and all that stuff. And I own the masters. People think that artists own, you know, the recordings in most cases, this has really changed the last 15 years, but in most cases, 20 years, in most cases they don't, I mean, you know, it might revert back to them later, very later on, 30, 40 years, however, down the road. But in this case, I'd be real surprised if the Van Halen's didn't own the masters to this, which means they can negotiate with whoever they want. If not Interscope, they could, hell, I don't care, you know, they could do a direct deal with somebody and just get it up there anytime they want. And, you know, if they're, they're holding off because the streaming services aren't paying enough, well, that's a hill that's probably not even worth dying on anymore because that's just the nature of the beast nowadays if you want to get it to market and that's very often that's what that's what the you know individual labels might have negotiated i'm i'm going to further argue and say most of the money that would come in from a different kind of truth would be from the publishing end which has pretty much nothing to do with Warner Brothers. So I believe Tattoo was in the Adam Sandler movie Grown Ups. I think there were a handful of placements like that. Right. So that money would be coming to Van Halen directly through the publishing end. And seeing how many times Grown Ups or those kinds of things are going to be played and satellite radio and all that, that's automatically coming to Van Halen. So there's no need to be greedy on a different kind of truth because it's not consistently, it's not selling a thousand units a week or anything like that. And if it were selling a thousand units a week at this point in time, dividing that by four members <laughs> after taxes and commissions and something like that, you're going to be spending more money on a lawyer drafting up a memo every six months than you are on the actual royalties and the whole thing. So Dave could theoretically be right that it's not worth spending the money or actually, no, he was alleging that Alex was saying that it's, it doesn't add up that him but, a, him and Al. Well, was it just Alex saying, I can't recall, or was it both uh, him and him and uh, both he and Alex saying that it wasn't worth the money to do it, which by the way is, is completely different than what Wolfie said back in October is that, Oh, it's not happening because Dave doesn't like it. Maybe there's a little but, bit of truth to both so, of these. Uh, somebody who knows their stuff without giving away his or her or their name <laughs> told me Dave does not like a different kind of truth. Dave doesn't like looking back at stuff. And let's refresh this whole thing. The DLR band album is not out. And a smart person or two told me DLR band is not out because he looked at it as a failure based on the number of units it sold as an independent title. And that same person told me that Dave around that time, despite going, hey, I'm indie. Look at how well I'm doing with indie. Dave was taking meetings with record companies, with major labels to try and get an upstream deal or something like that. Well, so and you also want to advance. I mean, advance is cash flow. Would you rather take three and a half years to make $100,000, hopefully, on on royalties on album or do you take or do you take a uh, hundred thousand dollars up front just to deliver the record 
and figure it's not going to recoup, but I got a hundred thousand dollars. Or do you realize that you? Make I don't own the masters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or or do you realize you make more on three gigs if you're accounting correctly than you do on the whole album cycle? <laughs> and and uh, you're really should be using the album as a promotional tool. I'm not talking about the publishing licensing end of it. I'm talking about the way that album accounting happens. It's just supposed to be a promotional tool so that you tour. It it builds up the credit. It's like writing a book. If you break down the, the amount of money that I'm going to make from this book, it's like 25 cents an hour based on the number of hours you actually spend between writing and promoting it. But the value that comes from you being able to help, I wrote a book. It leads to more work. It leads to speaking engagements. It leads to consulting and freelancing, et cetera, if you do it right. It so could lead to another book. <laughs> or another book with better terms. So to look at a different kind of truth of, oh, man, it failed. No, just getting an album out itself is success. And it's not you like know, this album sold 30,000 copies, which would be bad for Van Halen, but amazing for Guided by Voices or or well, Sebado or something. But the, the other thing is, is too, is that, I mean, the record, uh, the deal was signed by Interscope and the yeah. record came out because it was a fantastic deal. Nobody lost money on it. Do you really think Irving Azoff would have been, all right, guys, listen, I asked for X from Interscope, but the only thing I got was this little tiny bit from an indie label. No way. Every People were clamoring for that record. He took that and he got the best deal he possibly could, which I guarantee you was a damn good deal for 2012. You know? Yeah. We're on the same page here. So is this greed from one or two entities within the Van Halen organization? Sure. But we can dispute the idea that it's a failure that it's what people associate with wolfgang van halen who's since put out two billboard number one hard rock charting albums while opening up for stadium level artists and selling uh you know one to three thousand tickets a night as a solo artist right no one is associating wolfgang with a different kind of truth or live in tokyo well i'll tell you i am i am glad that i got my um I'm glad I still own it on CD and I'm glad I got glad I it's still on YouTube. <laughs> so there's a place yeah. to listen to it. I'm wondering if that means uh, live from Tokyo Dome is going to disappear. Did Correct. that even come? Was that that even ca came out on Interscope? I'm assuming that did, too. It did. I believe uh, it, it was a 10 year license and Van Halen owns it and it will disappear when <laughs> then that 10 year period happens. But I personally don't think that a different kind of truth in live in Tokyo are dead. I think that at a certain point, the needed people are just going to go, okay, we raised enough of a stink. Let's just sign the Warner renewal deal where they improve our royalty percentage two or 3%. Let's just do it. Fine. Okay. And then we'll throw in a bad soundboard or that kind of a thing to put out as a deluxe edition. And then we'll do the Van Halen best of volume one, two and three. <laughs> They'll figure out a way to squeeze out another box set as part of these negotiations. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of minutia in the midst of all this, we found out Dave got some tattoo work done. Thank you. Instagram. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he did. It, it's so, so great, so brave. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, no, that was, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. I mean, it's interesting because in the last month, we actually have seen some very recent looking photos from Dave, that tattoo artist posting on it, whose name, forgive me, I, can't, I wrote it down somewhere, I can't remember. And I checked out the post, but there's a picture of him and Dave together. Yeah. Uh, and and then the these family therapy and throwing Eddie and Valerie and everybody under the bus videos have, have pictures of Dave in sort of they look they look really recent he's super thin he's got yeah. the he's dressed in all uh, black leather pants and and uh, the photos are actually kind of cool from an artistic standpoint if you look at them they're kind of got this uh, there's a photographer that it reminds me of that i can't remember at the moment uh but i yeah. think um an, an unnamed source told me about that photo session i believe it was that dave liked that one photographer and he hired him to come to his house for 40 or 50 grand, something like that for the day with the full crew. <laughs> and Dave didn't like any of the photos. Like he had a total mean face, like, Ugh, you know, that kind of a thing. And he just sat on them. So those photos, if that is the session that the person showed me the outtakes of, which I believe they <laughs> are, he just sat on that for a few years. So it's not like those photos are from yesterday or last week where he did that. It's just Dave project after Dave project. It's just kind of like, I did it. And then one day I go, oh, whatever happened to that? Okay, put that out. And that's that. Well, they look like they're within about three or four years old. I mean. But at his house, spent 40 or 50 grand with no plan, with no organized thing, which comes back to this whole. We're talking about the same thing, these black and whites, right? That were yes. on the, right. Okay. So a lot of the people who are our critics go like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Dave is playing chess and you're playing checkers. You're like, no, I'm telling you. He hired a photographer on a whim, paid way too much, hated the photos, and then one day went, oh, I'll put it out. That is not playing chess. Mm. Yeah, you're speechless over that one. Yeah, basically, so I, yeah. Doesn't make for great podcast listening. But <laughs> well, Going back, I mean, we did have a, a listener, and we should put this in the notes, who basically started making a playlist on Apple of of the John 5 sessions and sequencing it and, and making it great. I, I need to find the link and, and give that to you. There, oh, I yeah, well, to... I, put a, I put a Spotify playlist together a while back to have them all. I think it was in the show notes a couple a couple months ago of all those songs. Just I have them in one place now. So oh, I, I mean, that's kind of a positive thing. There are positive things in the Dave universe it's just every time one of these comes out it buries every great things that ramses does for the man from cabo the cabo wabo mojo dojo all that gets buried wolfie just oversaw a new guitar for the evh series within the last yeah. two weeks but we don't hear about that <laughs> sammy sammy's tour is still getting some press which is in a couple months but we don't hear about that because instead we hear about him being probed by aliens. Hey, Sammy, Sammy played uh, in Mammoth movie covers last night. Yeah. The Bon Jovi Music Cares uh, thing. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. It's great. It's great. So, you know, when I all the time will go, hey, Dave, be more like David Coverdale. Okay. I would say if you were going to take an, a music estate, where the surviving people have to work alongside the kids of the surviving people, but they do right. I would say, look at what the Beatles do. Obviously, John and Paul had their strike. Obviously, and you add in the wives, that's kind of tough. 
But then you look at what Giles Martin and Danny Harrison, George's son, bring to the equation, and Sean and Julian Lennon and all that, and you go, they, they kind of get along. They don't publicly slag each other. They keep and, content. And, yeah, and as the decades went forward, I mean, the surviving members and wives, I mean, were able to put everything together financially, uh, psychologically, whatever they needed to do, and and maintain an amazing legacy and do right by it yeah so you see that's one where it goes really well we see in kiss yes ace will forever be fighting with gene and paul but we see how paul and gene have kind of brought their kids into the equation in a positive way tommy thayer brought his his daughter he didn't know about until three years ago into the equation of, of yeah, some but they're sort. not really, they're not active in the legacy. I mean, to Kiss's credit, what I give him thanks for. I was looking at this the other day. They just keep they're doing right from a musical standpoint commercially. I mean, there's more things they could do. I'd love to see some other things happen. Uh, but the fact that they keep releasing these soundboard live uh, albums, God bless them, is fantastic. They are. Okay. At the end of the day, they're bringing stuff for the fans to dig and get. So, so more for the Steve, better example for the Steve Roth vernacular, cheap trick. You bring the kids in, the kids keep it fresh and interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, the to a point where if you want to keep this is almost the same thing. A Van Halen reunion would would not have happened if not for Wolfie. Agreed. Right? Kiss would not have kept going if 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 not for, and they say this out loud, and I kind of believe it, I do believe it, if not for Eric and Tommy, Kiss probably would have ended 10, 15 years ago doing, uh, doing state fairs, right? I mean, clearly these people were energized both on stage and creatively to keep going and keep doing this. And from a pure kind of, if you will, go along the get along standpoint, the strife in the band was less, was able to get them all. I mean, Rick's son Dax plays drums because there was a huge falling out with Bunny, right? I mean, and so, you know, and I don't begrudge anybody. So, I mean, there was a necessity to it, but I certainly don't begrudge anybody as a dad myself or want to have their kid involved. If the fans don't accept it, the fans don't accept it. At least I suppose you try. I mean, three-fourths original is better than none at all, right? I mean, at at some point, there's not going to be anybody left. I mean, when Foreigner tours with one or no original members, then you basically become you're you're your own tribute band at this point, for God's sakes. Do you know what I mean? Totally no. I mean, if mean. if Robin wants his son to play in the band, now the purist in me goes, oh man, his son is doubling every. He's not just there for uh, backup vocals. All right, well, listen, if you got to do it, it's not necessarily for me anymore, per se. I don't. I mean, I don't necessarily. It, I'm not mean to pick a bone with my all-time favorite band of all time, but I mean, I'm a purist, but up to the point. I want to see the music delivered as best in the best ways possible. But the fact it's still being delivered and it's happening, be and it would not be happening if not for these additions or these changes, because people get older, things change, taste change, uh, whatever. I understand that, so I'm happy that in in all those cases that. Kiss remained a going concern all these years. That cheap trick has remained a going concern. That Van Halen, we got the beat. Now that's a whole. Don't, that's well, a whole well, other podcast. Let, but let me, no, 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 no. I I have a relevant point here. I have a relevant point here, and that's when you see Brian Wilson, or at least you saw him two or three years ago on tour. His band has Al Jardine and Blondie Chaplin, but his music director is Matt Jardine, Al's son. 
So I'm saying they found one of these bands where the music director is right. the son okay. of the guy. And do you do you see anyone going, oh, man, this nepotism on this Jardine kid? No, Van Halen is the only one of these bands that is this publicly dysfunctional. Oh, Led Zeppelin, uh, yes, they were selling off John Bonham's, uh, the rights that his widow and kid had. But was there this whole like backlash publicly against it? No, it's just no. fair, fair, fair points. <laughs> and then fair points. And the interesting thing is, and I guess is this a contradiction on my part, just belies the fact that I was, I guess, wrong. For the longest time, I'd said here and many times and thought this all the time that, um, you know, there was kind of a both on Eddie's part with there's no solo projects and you can't ever lead the band. There was this very kind of because they're older and they came up that way, this older school classic band, classic rock sort of vibe to it. One of them was you don't see behind the curtain. If we're not going to do interviews, we're not going to do interviews. If we're not going to talk about, we're not going to talk about it. now because of a lot of personal issues that that went for Eddie primarily that completely went awry and Sammy wrote a book and it were in the reality and the times we live in. But for decades, Dave pretty much rose above that and you didn't see behind that curtain. And there was this kind of a classic band, classic rock veneer, right? That you didn't find out till much later through other people, not through the band themselves of the issues, the turmoil, the drugs, whatever it might be. Dave was kind of the last one until this past month. Do you get what I'm saying? So the veneer is yeah. gone, man. <laughs> you know, any pretense of it is fucking completely out the window, which was already heading in that direction. But I think Dave was kind of the last one. Yeah, he aired some dirty. I would venture, I would tell you that I think Sammy aired a little bit more. I keep saying dirty laundry, but there was more kind of damaging stuff in Sammy's book than there ever was about Dave's, right? I to a degree. Yeah. I, well, I mean, and although, but you can also say Dave's book was probably maybe about. Uh, had a higher percentage of fiction, I think, than Sammy's yes. book did. <laughs> right. The Jungle so. Studs stuff. Uh, I don't know how much I believe about the U.S. festival story, about the telegram and to the remote village. and Because you go, how did the management track down the exact remote village that they were at? Okay, okay but... There's you know, something going... so fun, though, about tall tales and legends to a degree, right? You want these folks to be bigger than life. There really is. And I know you'll appreciate this. There really is kind of an element to a, a pro wrestling about all this with heels and villains and kay, you know, baby faces and heels and kayfabe and and maintaining the uh, maintaining that facade. I mean, for decades, you never saw wrestlers together after the show because, hey, Crusher and Bruiser just beat the crap out of each other. Now they're a Dairy Queen, right? I mean, in some rural town somewhere after you saw them. No way, man. You maintained it. You did not, literally and figuratively, you did not see behind the curtain. If you did, it was trouble. And here's a really quick little aside anecdote. I don't know how, but I found myself on Instagram looking at some Andre the Giant fan page. And there was some video, right, of... You see those cheap curtains with the aluminum poles that you see behind, you know, behind the stage, you know, in the in the hallways underneath the stage, behind the stage. And the yeah. curtain was open and you see a bunch of wrestlers sitting around. It was a shaky 80s video. And all of a sudden, Andre turns around and he's like, hey, and he starts pointing, comes towards the guy with the camera and he closes the curtain. And it was like, sorry, that's you do not fuck around with that like that, even whether the guy's seven foot five or not, because 
you were not supposed to see what was going on behind there. All agreed. And uh, Mrs. Paltrowitz found found this YouTube, this Facebook comment. I, I believe it was a Facebook comment that was responding to yesterday. And I want to read it out to you. And keep in mind, Mrs. Paltrowitz and I do not have children. There are no children planned. We're those adults that go, we love each other. We don't need the, the children. But we respect the people who do have the children. So there was this comment on the Facebook post. They said, uh, this is from Jeff Burke. He said, Dave is sadly stuck in the land of no children and no grandchildren and no wife, saying that his abilities to understand those types of relationships is foreign to him. He's older, his singing voice is around 50% gone, and his ability to dance and entertain is, fa is fading. David is sadly jealous of Wolfgang's talent. It keeps going. Could there be an element of by Dave not being a parent that he doesn't understand the highs and lows that come of parenting, of bringing a child into a business, and that it's not all perfection? Could there, you as a parent, be that? I I, I think that's possible. I mean, I've, I've said it earlier and I've said it over and over again. I can't begrudge anybody, especially you grew up maybe not, you know, guess uh, I don't begrudge anybody who wants to wants to do what Eddie did and have his son be a part of it, especially uh, when for especially for any musician who spends a good portion of their parenting life out on the road, maybe not always there, maybe not always there because of a lot of physical, emotional reasons, drugs, whatever it might be. It's a high pressure. Being a parent, it can be a high pressure, pressure situation anyway. Yeah. And let alone being a superstar musician. The idea that you get to play music that you wrote, that you get to share every night, spend that much time with your son, man, I applaud it. I, I was thrilled that the bigger thing was I was thrilled that Van Halen was going to be active again and they were together with Dave. God bless it happening. But the but when I looked at it, I had real empathy and just sat there and looked at him and went, okay, if I'm in Eddie's shoes, man, this is the coolest thing I could ever possibly do. I don't know how much time I have left uh, in this world. And sadly, he got taken from us far too soon. But the fact yeah. that he got to spend 10 years or whatever doing that, playing that and spending that much more time with his son and seeing, enjoying his son, seeing all this stuff for the first time. How proud must he have been to sit there and to stand up on stage and watch his son get the applause he got and and just being able to showcase his talent, be able to hold his own, be a part of all this. There yes. was no favorite. The only, the, the, there's two reasons why Wolfgang was a part of all this. One, yeah, he's Eddie's son. Two, the guy's got the fucking talent to do it. Bar none. No argument, man. Yeah, you could say, oh, maybe the vocals weren't quite to Michael Anthony's. Whatever. Fine. From a bass playing perspective, everything else, clearly, and that proved in his, it, with the Mammoth albums, the kid's there because of his, not even a kid, the man is there and uh, was there and is there now because of his talent. And that's why he's going to have a very long career. Yes. And to bring it back to Gene Simmons once more here, when they do interviews with Gene and they say, hey, what what is your proudest accomplishment or what's the best thing that you ever created he always says my children and i think that you know as a non-parent while i don't directly have that shared experience i get it because i have this thing called empathy empathy <laughs> right means that you can look at other people's situations and have 
a sort of emotional foundation or basis and go, I understand what you're going through. Therefore, I'm going to have things like sympathy and I'm going to send holiday cards and, and call you on your birthday and care about how you're feeling and ask how you're doing. Where I'm going with that is what David Lee Roth is doing shows no understanding of empathy or friendship or family or long-term care of people or things. Everything is how do I like a, like a legacy. Right <laughs> yes. So anyone who says that we're being sensitive, oh, okay, so we shouldn't go to funerals and we shouldn't perform tributes to people that we've lost and we shouldn't think of anything like that, right? Is that the correct way to approach situations like that? Is that the takeaway? I guess, I mean, it comes back to the fact that, yeah, it's a lack of empathy, but also, and I, this always bugged me for decades, but there's kind of a lack of humility there for Dave. I mean, yeah. okay, you can say at that moment, you coming back to Van Halen, it all worked out, and that was the biggest possible reunion you could possibly get given the circumstance and what, what was left and what happened to the Van Halen brand, so to speak, from roughly 2004 or post-balance, right? Uh, Post-Gary Sharon figure 98 to about 2006 basically yeah. the and and a lot of that was primarily due to Eddie's issues right i mean you know drugs and and working you know the new age guru thing whatever he, all that other stuff he was was going on that as that had been public for a long time so you could say when dave came back into to that point um you know did he i don't want did, he didn't rescue Van Halen per se, but it was the best and the biggest reunion, the best and the biggest from a business standpoint mm -hmm. and creative standpoint that could happen to Van Halen as a band. Now, if Dave never comes back in 2007, that doesn't happen at all. Just three or four years later, Eddie clean up and Sammy Hagar comes back in the band with or without Michael is a huge thing. Probably. Cause you Probably. know what? We all would have been demand. like, fuck yeah, Eddie's back and there's demand and they've been gone for X amount of years and look where they're at now compared to when we last saw them. Yeah. Dave amplified and magnified that to a bigger degree, but again, being away in the desert for all those years and having the, the, and I'm not talking about all the great things he did, whether it's an EMT or helicopter pilot artist, all these other creative endeavors, all these other things that, that is fantastic for him. God bless him. But from a purely commercial standpoint, from a music career, right? I mean, he was kind of out in the desert, a solo career that basically for all intents and purposes was done, was never quite as big, was never near as big separate as what, Van Halen did with Sammy and kept that volume going for multiple albums, right? He needed that from a, maybe not even a financial standpoint, but from an ego, from a musical standpoint, from a standing standpoint, he needed the Van Halen reunion more than the Van Halen's needed him to come back. I think. Well, I'm going to interject and say, allegedly he did financially need it. Now, the first Eddie Van Halen podcast uh, that he put out, uh, uh, what's now about two weeks ago, he makes it sound like he saved Eddie because Eddie was penniless. Uh, no, he, Eddie might have been cash poor, but Eddie still owned a lot of real estate and he had his guitar related businesses and he could have made more money quickly. And he also would have had a Warner Brothers check coming to him very quickly and a publishing check. 
and he essentially had assets in the form of his music publishing. Now, here's the thing. The number of years of success that Eddie had is a lot more years than the number of successes and years of successful years than Dave had. Uh, Dave's income seriously trailed off in the early 90s. So when we had Ron Wicks on this podcast and he mentioned that all the, the crew and band and Dave was on the same bus on the Your Filthy Little Mouth tour, it's not because Dave was being frugal. You know, they were playing. Yeah, but I don't know if I necessarily will cry poverty for him. The guy was able to buy a place in New York and live by coastal. And I always heard he had extremely good investments. And no, no, no. Let me let me stop you there. He bought his father's mansion in 91 or 92 from his father. Oh, sure. But that doesn't mean you're living there for free. You're paying taxes, upkeep and everything else. And then to be able to buy a place in New York and live there and basically still live the kind of lifestyle. What? Wasn't like the guy. Wasn't like the guy had was was shuffling off to all these different radio jobs, to keep an income coming in. No, no. But here's the thing that I know for a fact in speaking with people: when Dave was living in New York City in the early 2000s, he had three homes in New York City. He had his brownstone. <laughs> he had his downtown Lower East Side uh, Ludlow Street place, and then he had a World Trade Center area apartment, which supposedly he never stepped one foot in ever. He had a place he never went to. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's not crying poverty at that time. No, no. He spends more money than he has. And he's been doing that for decades. So the thing is, I think he did need the Van Halen gig. It's just he's he's pretending like he's rich. And he has assets that he can't afford. And it's been like that for such a long time. So for him to throw Eddie under the bus of, oh, Eddie was penniless, says the guy who owns three homes in the same city. Hey, they style. <laughs> yeah. Prolific at spending and divorces, whatever. It all adds up to a lot. I'd say you're not crying poverty if you can spend more than you can make over many decades. So somewhere along the line, there's enough to, there's enough to keep him living some sort of lifestyle that he has long been accustomed to or has certainly enjoyed. Let me get back to the humility point. My final point is on this. And this is what I'm talking about, where it all comes down to so much of this, especially, and I saw it comes down to that humility sample I'm thinking is, is show that it's not all about you. Put your arm around, uh, around Wolfgang and go to his stage a bit. Say, you know, give some props in the media about, how great and enjoyable this whole thing has been. And the fact that you're happy, you're back. It was little tiny glimpses of that in the very beginning. Do you know what I'm saying? hundred uh, percent. I took it, of course, with, but, with it, but, stuff, but you we're don't have age. to be the MC all the time. And it's not, it's, and it's not all about your own personal PR campaign. Do you get what I'm saying? 120%. And by helping, um, to use the wrestling term, when you help someone get over. Right. That means like the good guys making the bad guy look like a star or vice versa. In the process of making the other person look better, you're making yourself look better for having worked with that person. Right. So if he made... And you're both making a successful common goal, right? Right. And it lends that much better to, we just created this great match. I mean... So instead of looking at your opening acts as competition who are competing for the person to buy their album instead of yours, instead you go, weren't they great? 
because when they're superstars, in other words, when when people ask Gene Simmons who the best uh, Kiss opening act was, and he goes ACDC. ACDC were not superstars when they opened for Kiss, but now you go, wow, ACDC and Kiss. That's that's quite a show. I can't believe what a big tour that was. Kiss and ACDC. And like no, they were just a local opening act, t-shirt band, jabroni. People were there to see Kiss, but the fact that you now say ACDC and Kiss, that must have been like the biggest tour of that year. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. So by him sliding Wolfgang, instead of pumping him up, you're hurting your own bottom line. Yeah. So, And this episode is not going to be named What's the Point? But <laughs> essentially, <laughs> no, there is no, no so point... So, like, one other thing I can bring attention to, I said his name towards the beginning, Dave White, who writes for Blabmouth, other sure. stuff like that. Uh, W-I-G-H-T, like Paul White, the big show. That's how you spell his last name. He pretty much only has three targets or three artists who he has to feud with the fan bases of and point out all the stuff. And that's Ozzy, because Ozzy did not write a lot of the songs that Ozzy said, and they squeezed out a lot of people. It's Neil Sean from Journey, because there's other camps of Journey-related people that kind of get slighted by Neil, and it's Dave. You know, he's not picking fights with the Ted Nugent camp. He's not picking fights with Led Zeppelin people. It's just the three people who scorn their fan bases over and over and over and over and over again. And it's so hard to be a fan of Van Halen who make the most fun music. But then when you learn behind the scenes is it's the opposite of fun. It's just, it's not getting any better or easier to be a Van Halen fan. That's where I'm going with all that. Yeah. It reminds me that I remember several years ago having a, a conversation with a friend and we were talking about this similar where it's like, you know, and I was like, yeah, it's hard to be a fan of Van Halen, David Lee Roth. And I bring up my cringeworthy stuff all the time, you know? And he goes, yeah, it's kind of like it's how hard it is to be a fan of Kiss. And I'm like, no, it's not. What? Do you, how is it hard to be a fan of Kiss? Maybe, I mean, yeah, Gene will say something stupid almost all the time. But from a fear of pan from the fandom uh, perspective, dude, you've got freaking books. You've got, the, you know. You got the history book, you've got DVDs, you've got live concerts, you've got soundboard stuff. I mean, it's you've got a going concern that's still out there, even if you don't like that version. At least, you know what I mean? You've got somebody that's honoring the legacy that's still active and not in a retirement home, for God's sakes. I'm like, I'm a huge Kiss fan. It's easy to be a Kiss fan. And you part of it, too, is that it's like, all right, you know what? I just love this era. Fine. You had almost a career's worth in that era. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So was Gene Simmons wrong, knowing what you know now, when David Lee Roth didn't rejoin the Kiss tour after the initial COVID pandemic, and he said, no one wants to see Fat Elvis, that kind of a thing. And Gene kind of publicly apologized, and Dave put out that meme of the middle finger at Gene. Was Gene wrong? I don't think that Gene Simmons. I think he. Was I think he was positioning that as performance-wise, and I thought backing tracks or not. I thought performance-wise, when I saw the show in twenty twenty-four, it all shut down. I thought Dave and band sounded great, and it was fun. He looked like he was having a great time, and he. It was a perfect opening scenario for him, and I wish that tour went on for a year. So I mean, there was no, you know, 
there was no fat Al- Elvis. Nobody expected Dave to jump off the drum riser. He hadn't done that in 20 years, for God's sakes. But as far as like an animated front man and having fun up on stage, yeah, he delivered on that standpoint, you know? Was he the same Dave as 2007 uh, Van Halen uh, in that when he came back to to the re, to the band and there was that reunion tour? Not necessarily, but I mean, I didn't walk away from seeing Dave live going, going, oh, boy. Oh, man, that was rough. You know, after that opening act for Kiss, that's where I think Gene was going uh, going to. So I think having rewatched some of the Kiss shows, I think that a 40, 45 minute supply, uh, support slot from Dave was actually a good career move and smart. But once he has the full stage and he can go on his 15 minute talks about what he studied and he could do the harmonica solo and all. Once he does that, it's too much Dave. But if there are a way to control Dave into a 30 or 40 minute slot, it could work. But does his ego permit that? This current Dave, the ego is just, it's, there's no controlling what is coming out of his mouth so imagine what it would be like behind the scenes once he's off the record the stuff that i hear you you would you would just go oh my i no thank you (laughs) well the 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 comparison only other comparison to elvis and other big stars of that ilk is where you might just have a small coitery of people left going hey great job that was a great idea (laughs) because they're getting a paycheck like that las vegas i'm sorry to cut you off there but like that las vegas video where he knocked on the door and then you hear his manager go oh that was great you really made their night (laughs) right 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 sort of yeah i mean nobody else thinks this is a good idea any of this stuff (laughs) come on yeah so that's that's Part of my problem with all this, that the people working for Dave aren't putting their foot down to him. Yes, I know it's a paycheck, but they don't go, Dave, this is a terrible idea. This is not a good look for you. This is not a good look for your career. This is not a good look for Van Halen's legacy. You're not going to increase Van Halen legacy by making it clear that hey, we don't license stuff very easily because we are three or four separate camps that can't agree. A music supervisor is not going to go, oh, you know what band I should clear right now and license from? They're going to go, oh, yeah, I hear they're difficult. Well, uh, we can get poison. <laughs> Bless you. They're going to go poison. They're, uh... So all four of them are under the same publishing entity and the same record company? Okay, we'll get poison. Yeah, and we'll 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 just get Motley Crue. That's under one licensing number. Okay, cool. It's it's, a, it's kind of like uh, I can't remember which episode was t- entitled. There's no one to say no. <laughs> yeah, hate to be a broken record, but the more these come out, the more likely I'm to tell the truth of what I've heard and seen. And that that's not an extortion kind of thing, but I'll just put it this way. If the stuff that I've heard about Dave got out there, Bill Cosby-esque cancellation would happen. So damn it. People, people would be distancing themselves from David Lee Roth if this kind of stuff got out. And I don't want that stuff to come out. I want to think of Diamond Dave. This is the opposite of Diamond Dave. This is this is Grandpa Dave. Is that the name of the episode, Grandpa Dave? No, I got a good I got a good name for it. 
<laughs> well, sorry to take it down that negative rabbit hole, Steve, but, uh, you know, what better person to do that with than you? <laughs> if you made it this far, thanks for listening. Thanks and sorry. It's kind of it's kind of tough to figure out how to end it sometimes, I know. But thanks to everyone. Uh, I don't think this is the last episode. If if this is the last episode, thanks and sorry. And if it's not, thanks and sorry. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>